Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Welcome to our Astros A's Game 3 postgame show. Joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, as good as we felt after Game 2, oh, it's scary, very scary after Game 3. We'll explain the Astros as we look forward in a little bit, but oh my God, you know, the bullpen that scared us all year finally showed up in game three. Yeah. Unfortunately, Robert, it did. And and you just knew it, it couldn't last. You hoped it would, obviously. I mean, if the Astros had won this game and finished the series, there would have been very little to talk about as far as the bullpen goes, but you know, 16 and two thirds innings in the postseason without allowing a run, you just knew it had to end sometime. And unfortunately, it did in game three. And so, you know, now the concern is the longer this series goes on, the, the shorter time the Astros pitching has to recover because the ALCS starts on Sunday. So if they stretch this series to five games to Friday and they do happen to win it, they're only going to have a one day off in between series. That is not good news for Astros pitching. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to get to the you know, just how it's setting up and what it looks like in the next couple of days. But let's just start off this one with Urquidy, which I was so confident in. He's just been outstanding the last couple of years, the playoffs last year, uh, given everything that you want uh, from a starter. But he gives up solo shots in four of his five innings, finally pulled by Dusty after the fifth. Probably the worst performance, Stephen, we've seen from Arquiti since he's been an Astro. Or I, I can't think of any. No, I can't. Yeah, by far it is, Robert. And I think the biggest problem he had, and it, it showed right off the bat, is his breaking pitches were just not on location at all. And it was a little surprising, especially considering how well he's pitched against left-handers during the regular season. Now, I know his sample size is a bit smaller than some of the other pitchers for the Astros, but... Lefties were only batting 136 against him in the regular season, and two of the home runs were hit by the two lefties in the A's lineup, and that'd be Tommy LaStella and Matt Olson. But, yeah, clearly his breaking pitches were not breaking. In fact, really, everybody on the Astros staff just could not locate their breaking pitches or most of their other pitches. But, yeah, for Urquidy, that was the big thing for me is he just didn't have it with a breaking ball today at all. I guess the good news is the offense continues to be fantastic. They score seven runs. And if you go to the bottom of the first, Altuve with a solo home run, he not only is getting homers, but you know, he's getting those swinging butt singles, which he did later in this game. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is like retro Altuve, right? Oh uh, yeah. This is the Jose Altuve we love to see. And it's coming just in time too. You know, unfortunately Springer cooled off today. Would have been nice to have had his bat, you know, to get a hit or two. But, you know, that's just what happens, though. And then, you know, the Astros bats, want, somebody picks up somebody else if they're down. That's what they did in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And they weren't doing it at all this season, Robert, in the regular season. You, you kept waiting for the old Astros offense to show up, and it has finally shown up in this series. You know, the question is, can it continue to show up and they can just end this series tomorrow? I'm going to give Dusty a kudo on one thing. He decides to start Aledmus Diaz over Josh Reddick, which I thought was a, a great idea because Josh Reddick just hasn't looked good, you know, for, I don't know, two or three months, but most of this year. 
and Diaz gets the two-run home run. We're going to get back to Dusty in a second. But that was at the beginning of the bottom of the fifth and looked like the Astros were going to put this thing away then because Brantley singles to bring in Springer. Bregman doubles to bring in Brantley. Tucker singles to bring in Bregman. Um, maybe Altuve shouldn't have got thrown out at third base, but that's what Altuve does this year. He gets thrown out on the base pass left and right, but they were up seven to four right there and you're feeling good. You're feeling good, but I'll be honest, Robert, I was still a bit hesitant just because I, I knew that the Astros were going to have to go deeper into that bullpen than they, they've had to in this series. So yeah, I was feeling good, but, but I also wasn't, I wasn't feeling totally secure just because they had four innings left and, you were pretty sure that Ryan Presley wasn't going to be available. Inoli Paredes wasn't going to pitch. You know, so that left your other guys that you haven't used very much. So I still had a little bit of an itchy feeling in my stomach. And unfortunately, that that's what came to pass. But, you know, aside from a couple of times with situational hitting, the Astros hitters did come through today. That itchy feeling you were getting, it's called... Uh, some guys like Josh James and Brooks Raley. And all the guys that were... Pretty darn scared of uh, Brooks Raley. Frankly, I, I was really excited what I was seeing later in the year, but he's not somebody that's going to get somebody out with stuff, and that's what you need in the playoffs. But let's start off with Josh James because this is where you know the Astros just don't learn from history, and Dusty maybe not talking to people about this or not paying attention. But Josh James did not look good in the first inning that he pitched gets out of the jam, and they bring him back out. And we've seen this. How many times have we seen this, Stephen? Josh James, if you give him more than one inning, it's a disaster. Yeah, and I've always said, Robert, that he should not have been tried to they, – they shouldn't have tried to make him a starter. I, I look at Josh James as a setup guy, seventh, eighth inning maybe, maybe give you one inning, let his gas just fly, and that's it. I mean, that that's really all you're going to get with Josh James. And, you know, some of it I think is on the Astros for the way they've – experimented with him but you know at the same time he's had multiple chances this season to come through when he's been put in situations and it just hasn't happened and he hadn't pitched in a while too don't forget you know he hadn't pitched at all this postseason what has been at least a couple weeks or more since he's been out there so you kind of worried about that when he went out so uh, yeah unfortunately josh james started the, the the parade of pitchers that couldn't get the job done today Brooks really higher on my list, I think, after the end of the season of, as guys that I trust a little bit coming out of the bullpen. Uh, I wasn't happy the first time they used him in the twin series because they used him in a situation that I didn't like him being used in, coming in in the middle of an inning. But Brooks Raley in this game, you know, after, after, after watching this one and, and the other game, I'm starting to think, you know, move, move Brooks Raley further back on the guys that you want to use for Astros relievers. Do you agree with that? Well, possibly. I mean, you know, he did come in for James and he got a pop-up to uh, Chris Davis and then uh, Olsen and then Canna strikes out looking. So, I mean, he got through that inning, but yeah, clearly in the next inning is that's where things started to go wrong. So, uh, you know, he seems to have kind of toned things down as the season's gone on as well. All right. Now we get to a move that I hated just as much as the Josh James move. Frankly, maybe even more because, you know, the Astros bullpen, we know it's thin. Andre Scrub was available. I wish they would have pitched Andre Scrub instead of Josh James for a second inning. But that's just me. They bring in Scrub too little too late later in the game. But bottom of the eighth inning, runners on second and third. Josh Reddick pinch hits 
for the most clutch Astro, like in the last year, Martin Maldonado and Josh Reddick is not clutch. He's flat out. He's flat out stunk this year in the clutch and in his playoff history. I, I looked it up according to my math and I had to do a little bit of math because I couldn't find all the numbers in the same spot, Steven. So I had to do some work here, but mm-hmm. he is 236 with runners in scoring position in his playoff history, which is better than I thought actually after watching him the last few years. Yeah, you were the first person I thought of, Robert, when this move happened. I, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised. I mean, I know that Maldonado has caught every inning in this series. So, you know, I don't know if they were trying to rest him a bit, but that's not a good time to be resting when you're trying to win a series. I, I just didn't I didn't understand that move at all, you know, especially with the numbers you just quoted with Reddick not being a good hitter most of the season and and certainly in the postseason. Yeah, and when he struck out, my heart just sank because I felt like that might have been the last opportunity the Astros had that went out the window. And sure enough, it was because Liam Hendricks was just spot on the rest of the game. I'm sorry. I just I I hate to be the dead horse, but Dusty is not somebody that I trust in a postseason series to make the right moves. And you know, again. I, I will give him credit for putting in a lead Miss Diaz. Maybe that's not even that difficult to move. You know, for somebody that's not a big fan of Josh Reddick right now, I didn't think that was a difficult move necessarily. But you're putting in a guy that, you know, hadn't played a lot this year over a veteran, Josh Reddick, who's been in a ton of postseason games and had a ton of postseason at bats and has basically been a starter for you all season long. However, Dusty Baker, I just don't trust. We're going to go through another year with him next year. And this, a, a lot of ways, it reminds me of, you know, Bill O'Brien. Not Bill O'Brien, the GM. I'm talking about Bill O'Brien, the coach, Stephen. Yeah, I knew. you know, when you think about it, I, and I saw this today, Robert, and I'd forgotten about this. Not trying to scare anybody, but, you know, in 2012, when Dusty was the manager of the Reds, the Reds were up on the Giants two games to none in the playoffs. And this was when it was a 2-3 type of series. They had three games in Cincinnati, and the Giants won all three and won the series. So <laughs> this is making me a little scared now that the Astros have lost this game three and just some of the moves that uh, Dusty has apparently been making. So essentially what he did is he made one good move by not putting Reddick in the game, and then he made a bad move by putting him in the game later. <laughs> so it's like one canceled out the other, I guess. Right. And, you know, who knows? I mean, Maldonado could have struck out and there's no guarantee. And, you know, Maldonado, if you look at the numbers, it's probably a pretty good chance that he strikes out. But we also know that he's been a clutch player for the Astros all this year, postseason last year, World Series. Of course, he was fantastic. So there's that. Now, let's let's fast forward a little bit, Stephen. And and what do you do now if Granke cannot go on Thursday? Where do you go if you're the Astros for game four? And maybe potentially a game five. Who, who's going to be your starting pitchers in the next two games? Well, I think you got to go with Javier, at least if he could give you two or three innings, you know, and then it just goes from there. Game five, I, gosh, I don't know, you know, because so many things would depend on game four. But I, I didn't even want to think about game five because that would be a really scary thing to say. But, yeah, if Grinky can't go out there, you know, if he can't even give you a couple of innings and – Christian Javier give you two or three innings, then the Astros are in trouble. I mean, the good news is the A's have burned their bullpen quite a bit. I mean, they used their closer for three innings. 
So that that's their best reliever. So, you know, this is getting down to where both teams are going to be having trouble the further this series goes. But the Astros, I think, are in deeper trouble just because of the questions at starting pitching. If you're the Astros, if maybe Granke cannot go, do you consider Luis Garcia on Thursday and maybe give Javier full rest and make sure you've got a really good rested Javier? You know, he's had three days since, you know, pitching 20, I think it was 20 pitches or something like that on Monday. Or do you pitch Javier on Thursday and see how many innings he can give you? And then in an emergency, Garcia starts off. And then from there, it's just bullpen by committee or something. Because I love Luis Garcia and what he's given you this year. I mean, he's back on the postseason roster. He subbed for Jack Mayfield, who was in the first round. And Garcia, you know, 292 ERA, more importantly, 0.97 whip and a 162 batting average against, and he doesn't walk guys. Uh, so that's a really positive. He's got five walks in the 12 innings that he's pitched so far. I, I like what I've seen from Luis Garcia so far. Well, now that I think about it, you know, Garcia might be a better option for game four, just because I think if, if it went to a game five, I would, I would certainly rather have Javier, you know, and then of course you, you can throw in just about anybody. I mean, you you could say that Framber Valdez could give you an inning if he needed to in a game five, and uh, Lance McCullers could give you an inning if he needed it. So, yeah, that might not be a bad option now that I think about it. I mean, the, the thing about Garcia, though, is he too hasn't pitched in a while, and he still has a fairly small sample size, and it's obviously his first time in the postseason. But, gosh, you know, the I mean, the options are getting few and far between here. So, you know, the, these next – well, this next game for sure – uh, it's going to be interesting to see who they actually trot out there to start game four. If I'm the Astros and you can get five innings tomorrow out of whoever your starter is, if it's Garcia or Javier or whoever, I, mean, I don't know who else there, other, what your other options are, but if you can get those five and you've got a lead at that point, Anoli Paredes, you know, he's pitching two innings at least at that point. You're right. get You're getting yourself to that eighth inning and hopefully you can add on and maybe – you know, if you've got that lead, you can get a couple extra runs. And at that point, you know, maybe you got to throw Ryan Presley out there and say, you know, we might need you for two innings in this one or something like that. I, I don't know. Well, at this point, Robert, that that's really what it is. It's all hands on deck. And with these series, you know, not having a day off in between games. I mean, it's just the whole thing is different this year for everybody. And the Astros are, are certainly no different. I mean, if you can get five innings out of your starter in game four, I'm feeling really good about that. Because as you said, Paredes would be available because he didn't pitch today. And Presley would probably be available at least for the ninth and maybe the eighth, you know, if that's what they need. I mean, if, you, if you're going to put Liam Hendricks in for three innings as your closer and then finish the job, then the Astros may have to think about the same thing with some of their best pitchers going two or three innings. Anything else that you noted in this game or you look at moving forward? Well, I'm wondering about Springer. You know, when he struck out in, in the ninth, he kind of hobbled off a little bit. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but I'm just wondering if, if that was just, you know, something to keep an eye on uh, or what the situation is. But, you know, the, the Astros clearly, in order, one of the other things that happened with the pitching, six walks. You know, they've been cutting down on the walks, you know, five of them by the bullpen. Got to cut down on the walks. And and the other thing that concerns me, Robert, is that most of the contact that the A's had 
was in the air. The Astros induced very few ground balls. They, they need to get more ground balls contact for the A's hitters to have a chance, especially the way the ball has been carrying out at Dodger Stadium. Javier, not necessarily a ground ball pitcher, correct? No, he's not. No, he's, he's, he's definitely not that. So I don't know what you do there, but you know, the one thing about the one thing I like about Paredes is he's a strikeout guy. They don't have a bunch of guys in the bullpen that I would call ground ball pitchers. Who, who, who in the bullpen do you think is a ground ball pitcher? Yeah. As I'm going down the list, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. And, and especially, like I said, the, the A's hit a lot of balls in the air. I mean, that's what they do. And just the, the way things were carrying out, I mean, even a fly ball, you just, you hold your breath every time one is hit these days. All right. I'm going to move over to the Texans. Cause we got to, we got to monitor this situation a little bit because I, I think there's a lot that's going to be coming out over the next few days. We talked about, if you missed it, go back. We spent a lot of time talking about the BOB decision a couple of days ago. Bill O'Brien um, is out. One thing that came out that was extremely interesting was apparently J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien had a very heated exchange on the practice field the week of the Steelers game, which uh, J.J. frankly called Bill O'Brien out for his coaching ability. And that began what is being said as a player revolt. Um, I, from what I heard, there were some text messages from a bunch of different players that was that were sent to uh, our, our friend, uh, Jack, Happy Jack, our, our new, is he the owner of the team now? The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he almost thinks so, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently those those text messages uh, were sent to him. And then I guess he went to Cal McNair or something. I don't know. In other words, J.J. Watt, thank you very much. J.J. Watt apparently was the last straw to get Bill O'Brien out the door. You know, J.J. Watt, uh, and a hero for the Texans fans all these years. And of course uh, he's beloved in this community. And then in the press conference, Steven, I don't know if you caught this today, but JJ said, one of the things I'm excited about is getting on the same page with our fan base. Again, there's certainly been a bit of tension there in the last months and years. And I can't wait to have all us pulling in the same direction again. It's not fun as a player, unquote. Well, no, it's never fun to lose, you know, regardless of what the situation is. And I wish I could say I was surprised by all that, Robert, but I'm really not. I mean, the, the Texans played like they didn't want to play for O'Brien. They, they just, they looked lifeless. They had those signs in the second half of, you know, the um, Vikings game, and they showed some signs of life against the Chiefs and the, the Ravens and Steelers. But all in all, the Texans looked like a team that had quit on O'Brien, that they didn't want to play for him anymore. And listen, if you piss off your star player, the, the best player the Texans I probably ever had certainly one of them you're you're definitely headed out the door you know and, and from some of the other things we've heard o'brien has pissed off a lot of sorry you know but that, that that's what he did a number of the texans high profile players and as you said jj watt being the last straw that was it the other thing that you know we didn't get into a ton but we did talk about i just mentioned jack easterby seems to be running the show now i tell you what steven I don't know. How do you get guys to come and play for this organization if Jack Easterby, who he was a chaplain, he's like a team chaplain. He's got no football corporate experience. Like, what is his, you know, what what's his background? What makes him 
the guy that they're going to run everything through, except he's some sort of mot- motivational chaplain or something like that. I mean, I hear stuff about maybe the Patriots were plenty glad to get rid of him. And the Texans, they look like a crap show right now. They, they look like a organization that doesn't know what they're doing. They've put this guy in charge. You wonder who's going to want to play for this team. I mean, who's going to want to coach for this team and who's going to want to be the GM and, and answer to Jack Easterby? Well, you know, a lot of that, too, is going to depend on what other openings are going to come up. But I would have to say, I mean, a young assistant coach, if that's, you know, the direction the Texans are going to head, you know, somebody is going to want to take the job. But but for the GM, though, you know, it does make you wonder, especially if you're going to have to answer to a guy like Jack Easterby. And that's why, you know, as much as we'd like to celebrate the fact that Bill O'Brien is gone, that the Texans can head in a new direction, how much of that new direction is it going to be if the leaders at the very top, and I'm talking about Cal McNair, really, are just going to hand it to somebody like Jack Easterby and not really clean house and take a good long look at who you're going to put in place that can turn this team around? Because if they don't, Robert, then we're going to be having the same conversation next year or the year after that or the year after that, that the Texans if they try to rebuild that it's it's still going to go the wrong way it starts with the leadership and if you don't have good leadership in place i don't really care what happens you're just going to have the same result in a few years and cal mcnair i mean just a message to cal mcnair look man go talk to somebody you've got a ton of resources that you can talk to you are a millionaire billionaire whatever owner in the nfl ask somebody Pick up a phone, call anybody in the media. I know there's not a lot of respect for the media, but they've been watching football and they're more connected than you are. But you can go talk to different former players that are in the media, former coaches that are in the media. Do you remember, Stephen, when it was, I guess it was when Capers got fired, they brought in Dan Reeves. That's right. That's right. And he hired helped in the search for Kubiak. Exactly. Yes, he did. Exactly. That's that's right. That's that's really what needs to happen. And, you know, sometimes having a sounding board outside the organization can go a long way in, in bringing you what you need. I mean, Kubiak, certainly the most successful coach the Texans had, and yet petered out after a while. But Dan Reeves was very instrumental in bringing Kubiak aboard. That's really what's something that needs to happen here. You need to get a guy that can be completely objective in knowing what the Texans need. You know, the question is, does Cal McNair have too much pride to do that? You know, his dad didn't, obviously. Bob was able to do that and willing. So the question is, would Cal be willing to do the same thing? But in what business do you ask a a guy that's never, he's got no background in that business. You, It's like, I'm going to run a McDonald's or something like that. So I'm going to ask, you know, a doctor how to run a McDonald's. It just makes no sense that the Texans, it, it just seems to me like, you know, this is like easy stuff for anybody that's made money in anything. And, and, you know, Bob, he made the money legitimately smart guy, but Cal, this is the problem when you have these legacy franchises, you see um, guys that, that have no idea what they're doing because daddy gave them the business. And, you know, they're, they're just, it's like a toy or something or like, you know, it's, and, and the thing about an NFL team is it just, it automatically makes money no matter what. 
So you can be totally incompetent and you're still going to make money. But at some point you would think, hey, I, I, I get tired of being a, a joke and a laughing stock around the sport. Well, especially when you consider, and as J.J. Watt pointed out, that the fan base is very down on the team right now. I mean, you don't want your main customers to be down on your on your business, on your organization. It just, that doesn't make good business sense either. Right now, you know, your hands are kind of tied behind your back because you can't have a lot of fans in the stands, but your PR image needs to be different. It needs to be better so that when the time does come for the fans to come back, that they will come back. But they're not going to come back, Robert, if the Texans just keep repeating the same old song and dance, bringing in some people that 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 really aren't capable of running the team and just run it further into the ground. You're just going to further alienate your fan base. So that that's, you know, Cal McNair is a tough task at hand. There's no doubt about it. I, it's an unenviable position to be in. I don't know that I'd want to be in that position. But if I were, I would certainly do the same thing that his father Bob did. I find me somebody that I know and trust and say, look, how do I clean up this mess? What, you know, who are some people that I can go to that can help me clean up this mess and start there? The only thing that you can really hope for is if, if there's as much respect in JJ from Cal McNair as you would think there should be. And obviously there is a little bit because he got O'Brien fired, which we thought was not going to happen this year and, and maybe never happen. But JJ, you would hope, goes to Cal McNair and says, look, Go find a football guy. And if J.J. goes against Jack Easterby, I, let's let's be honest here. Uh, if it's between J.J. and Jack, Jack Easterby, J.J. wins that little fight. Uh, yeah, he wins that popularity contest hands down, don't you think? Yeah, yeah you're not <laughs> cutting J.J. Watt this year. Now, J.J. could get cut at the end of the year, and likely he's going to have to go or you're going to have to redo his contract, one or the other, because – uh, next year, I think he makes, I don't know, in the neighborhood of like $20 million or something, and it's not guaranteed. And, um, you know, it, 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 they're going to have to either redo that contract or, you know, they, they're going to have to flat out release him because they, they've got so much money committed to so many other guys. And J.J. just isn't, you know, if this is old J.J., it's no brainer. You keep him around. But obviously, it's not the same guy. Now, I mean, J.J. has got to go to Cal McNair and say, look. How about getting a football guy? This guy's a chaplain. You know, JJ's got to use all the weight that he can. If, if JJ cares about Houston as much as he's purported to do over the last 10 years, and I'm not taking anything away. I think JJ cares about this city. If you care about the city, though, you've got to get in the room with Cal McNair and say, look, man, um, you've got to you, keep relying on these people that don't know what they're doing. And all you got to do is talk to anybody in the NFL. We are a laughing stock. This organization is a laughing stock because of Bill O'Brien, and thus it's a laughing stock because you've allowed Bill O'Brien, and now you're going to do the same thing with Jack Easterby. Yeah, that's very true. And if we know JJ, as we have seen, JJ is not afraid to speak his mind. I and mean, he's probably one of the few players on the Texans. And, and you notice that after Bill O'Brien goes out the door, guess who's the first one to speak out? It's JJ Watt. You know, so. JJ is not afraid to speak his mind of what he thinks. So I'm I'm believing that he's probably going to have at least some kind of a conversation similar to what you're just talking about if if he really cares about the team and, and wants to turn it around. And I think he does. But I, I think there has to be some kind of a conversation. Or, you know what, put the shoe on the other foot. If you're Cal McNair and, and you want to get an idea, a gauge of what your players are looking for, you go to somebody like J.J. Watt. 
go to him voluntarily yourself and ask him. I mean, the, the NBA teams do it all the time. You, you know that James Harden has certainly had all kinds of input on who his running mate is going to be. LeBron James certainly does. And, you know, there, there are plenty of players in the NFL who do. So why not J.J. Watt? If you're the owner, go to J.J. Watt, some of your team leaders, Deshaun Watson, and find out. Get their feedback and then make your decision based on that. And I don't know about Deshaun. I mean, I, I know J.J. Uh, is somebody that is pretty well connected around the league. He hears everything. He talks to different people. I'm sure, Deshaun, there's an element of that. But I, I just don't know if Deshaun is one of those guys that would walk to walk up to Cal McNair and say, No, he would not. He yeah. would not. But I'm saying you go to Deshaun. Deshaun, I think, has some, you know, he's a smart guy. And I think he has opinions. But he's not one that's going to ex- express them publicly. And no, I don't think he's going to go to somebody that's going to go actively to ownership and say, this is what I think should happen. But I think if you are the owner, that you go to your your key players, you go to your J.J. Watt, you go to your Deshaun Watson, and at least get their feedback. That doesn't mean you have to do everything they tell you, but you get their you you have them as a sounding board, and you get their thoughts and opinions, and at least give you a, a start to go on. So the Astros lose this one. We'll finish things off with the post game show for the Astros, and just remind everybody that it doesn't look like we're going to be doing a show on Thursday night after the Thursday game. Potentially, it could be Friday morning if the Astros were able to win and and you could clinch and move on to the next round. We're going to try to do something on Friday morning, potentially. If it goes to a fifth game, you're not going to hear from us, I don't think, until Sunday. We're going to sort of wrap up the series and and, and also talk a little Texans. Um, You said the the, the Astros, if they do win, though, the game one's on Sunday, so... I don't know. I, who knows what we're, I don't know. We have to, we're going to have to discuss this, Stephen, but it's going to be difficult. We're, we're in about as, as much, uh, you know, uh, up in the air as the Astros are with their pitching right now, Robert. That's, that's, uh, I think all we could say about that. Yeah. I didn't realize they were going to do this, this quick turnaround on, on the next series. This is getting kind of crazy. Cause you know, you're talking about if, if you, if you go to five games, Stephen, and, and you're not going to take a break in the next round either, that's you're putting, you're going to destroy some pitching arms because you potentially you could have twelve games in thirteen days. I, I, it's that that sounds like a recipe for destroying arms it down the really road. It really does, you know. And every team is going to be facing, and, and you're getting deeper. You're going, you're getting into seven game series now, not five game series. These, these are the long series. So I don't know. It it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Robert. And it is a dangerous game that you're playing if that's what you're going to do. Yeah, I think the players' association might you know, they might be filing some grievances if, if this happens after, because I mean, it's just scary for, you know, some of the better pitchers in baseball. If if you're pitching this many games, this, this close together and guys are having to pitch quicker than normal. And, and, and that, that is not good. And we've seen guys careers get affected uh, when they've had to pitch a lot of games in the playoffs in a short amount of time. Um, you know, and, and, and at least then it was maybe a manager's, a choice or a, it was a problem with the manager or what the ball club was doing but this is all about the situation the major league baseball is putting these guys in and, and, and frankly steven i don't think it's necessary like i said i like this no days off for especially for a five game series or a three game series right where you 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 have to show that you have an entire team 
But, you know, when you're talking about trying to jam potentially 12 games in 13 days, I, I just don't like that at all. Yeah. And I mean, this has been a problem all around baseball just with the compressed 60 game season. You've seen a lot of pitchers go down, you know, some of it may not necessarily have been for that. But of course, the stopping and starting, you had two spring trainings, essentially. So it has really put a lot of strain on the pitchers. And as you keep going deeper and getting into the playoffs, that's going to become more of a concern. Looking forward to the Astros tomorrow night. Uh, Looking forward to see who's going to be pitching tomorrow night. As you and I speak, I don't know if we actually know uh, who the starter is yet. So um, but it's going to be fun to see what's going to happen in this series. And that's for sure. And, you know, if you're the Astros, uh, you just got to be happy. You're, you are where you are, and you, you're still one game away from a league championship series. That's all for this one. Let us know what you think. Info at HoustonSportsTalk.net is our email address. It's in the show description. Go look for it. Of course, you can, call, you can message us through Twitter or Facebook, uh, however you want to get in touch with us. Tell your friends about us, and stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.